0: Thank mm-hmm. you. as you are uh, grabbing your seats, well, you're already seated. See, look at that. How quickly we go into autopilot on Sunday morning. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Hey, as you're seated there, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have one and you like one, there's one on the chairs there around you, underneath you, in front of you, behind you. If you're using those, you're going to go to page 1260. We're going to Acts chapter 22 and we're going to start with the last verse of Acts chapter 22 and then go into Acts chapter 23. So um, hopefully you got the email since we didn't meet last week. We're just bumping everything a week, except that on April 7th, we had already planned on having a communion and baptism service. So we're going to keep that where it is. And instead we'll finish Acts the following week on April 14th. Uh, so that's just kind of where we're going. So as far as your reading schedule, rather than us print out a new one, that's, that's how you can adjust that. Just bump everything for a week and then the last one will be uh, scheduled for April the 14th if you're reading along. All right. So Acts chapter 22. Now, again, we're not going to look at every single one of these verses here. It's a kind of a longer set, but I'm going to summarize a lot for you. This is a kind of a neat story um, as we're going through the book of Acts. Just a quick reminder, um, we've been following uh, the ministry of Christ continuing on earth, even after Christ has ascended into heaven. And so Jesus started out the book of Acts. When Luke was writing, he told us about how Jesus appeared after rising from the dead to his followers and told them to stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that that phrase, witness, is a key phrase for the entire book because what you see, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in Judea, that would be like the surrounding the region. We would think about like city and then county and then uh, Samaria and then all the other regions of the earth. And so there's this concentric circles just continually expanding. And Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in all of these areas when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So one of the purposes in the book of Acts that we see for the Holy Spirit coming upon people is that they would point to Christ. So if you've ever got a person who claims to be a follower of Christ and they're pointing to themselves or someone or something other than Christ, that's not the Spirit's guidance. Because Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so what we've seen happening all through the book of Acts is the followers of Jesus, the early followers being witnesses, telling about what they've seen and what they've heard. And we're watching this gospel message, this message of of God's love demonstrated through Christ about the coming kingdom. We're seeing that come and start to spread further and further and further. We saw it early on in the book of Acts, it was isolated to Jewish people. The early church was primarily Jewish. And then we saw that gospel start to break some barriers, some social barriers, some racial barriers. And so what starts to happen is the gospels no longer being contained just to Jewish people, but now non-Jewish people are being brought into the church, the family of God. And so we've seen some key characters throughout. Early on in the, in the book of Acts, we were seeing the twelve, the, the 11 apostles and then Peter was really prominent. And then uh, later on in chapter nine, we started to shift and see more of Paul, the apostle Paul, who who once was a persecutor of the church. And now he is a a witness to Christ. And so now Paul has been traveling primarily to non-Jewish areas. That was Paul's mission given to him by Christ was he was appointed specifically to be an apostle for non-Jewish people, for Gentile people. And so we've seen him traveling through all these different areas where the gospel had not yet been spread. And it comes with uh, some hardships. It comes with some challenges. He's faced persecution from people inside the camp and outside the camp. He's faced persecution from people who would call themselves followers of Christ, but they're Jewish and they're holding very zealously to the Jewish law. And they're saying things like, you need to keep the Jewish law in order to be a real Christian. And Paul's coming up against that saying, no, that's not the case. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And Christ is the end of the law for all who believe in Christ. And so he's not, he's not abandoning it. He's saying Christ is the fulfillment of that. You don't have to submit yourself. men. you don't have to be circumcised. Everyone, you don't have to abstain from eating certain foods. That's not how you get accepted by God. Paul has been taking that message to the Gentiles and it's been met with, with uh, some tension uh, at all points. And so there's been times where Paul has been stoned. There's been times where Paul has been beaten. And then what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is Paul, he traveled back to Jerusalem. And maybe you remember this a couple of weeks ago. He traveled back to Jerusalem and the leaders in the church in Jerusalem said, hey, Paul, we're glad you're here. We rejoice with you about what you're telling us God is doing among the non-Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish people. But you need to know also that God has been doing a great work among Jewish people here. And many thousands of Jews have believed but there's a problem, Paul. There's a problem here in Jerusalem with you here because see, there's rumors flying around about you, Paul, that you're telling people to not obey the law, that the law doesn't matter. And that's causing some issues with our Jewish believers who are very zealous for the law. So Paul, here's what we think would help keep the peace. And so this was the week where uh, we said, don't let your freedom in Christ damage your family in Christ. And so Paul didn't have to do what he was about to do, but, in, but he did. He, he submitted himself to the law he went and he got purified among Jewish people. He didn't have to. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to cleanse himself from sin. Christ does that in his, in his death on our behalf. But Paul said, for the sake of peace among believers, I'm going to lay down a freedom that I have and I'm gonna willingly do this. So he did that. He goes in the temple, he, he, he cleanses himself, but when he goes public about the cleansing when he goes public about the cleansing. He's doing this for a good reason. He's trying to keep the peace. But when he goes public, then his enemies, his opposition knows he's there. And they start rioting and they start crying out all kinds of false things about Paul, so much so that the guards come and take Paul away because they were fearful for Paul. So then Paul then says to the guard, can I say something? So he addressed the Jews. And that's the one we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The last time we were together, he addressed the Jews and he says, I'm a Jew just like you. And then he proclaims Christ to them. Okay, now Paul has been in prison since then. That's kind of where this story falls. We're right in the middle of a, of a longer extended story in the book of Acts. He's in prison. He, he's being held as a prisoner there in Jerusalem. And we're going to see some things play out. And what we're going to see this morning is going to challenge the way we view our circumstances. It's going to challenge the way we view uh, the circumstances, perhaps, of others. It's going to challenge the way we're currently thinking, maybe, about situations we find ourselves in. Because here's what we're going to see. For the follower of Jesus, okay, that's, that's key right now. It's, this is specifically for the follower of Jesus. We can say this, obstacles to faith become opportunities for faith. For the follower of Jesus, obstacles to your faith, when it's hard to follow Christ, when I'm coming up against opposition, obstacles to my faith are not really obstacles as much as they are opportunities for the faith of others. So let's take a look how that plays out in Paul's situation. Let's start with chapter 23, verse 1. Paul looked directly at the council. So he's been, he's been brought out of prison. The guard says, I wanna get down to the bottom of what's going on here. So he calls this Jewish council together, the Sanhedrin. He calls this Jewish council together, made up of two groups of, or three groups of people, Jewish uh, leaders. They're called Pharisees, they're called Sadducees, and there's some priests on there, okay? Or some scribes in there. And so he, they call this council and he says to the, this, this non-Jewish guard says to the Jewish council, I want you to investigate this. I want you to get down to the bottom of what's going on here. And so now Paul is standing before this council of Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, priests. He says, 23, chapter 23, verse one, Paul looked directly at the council and he said, brothers, I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God to this day. At the high, and at that, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. It's kind of a neat moment right there, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, you know, if you've ever been hit in the face, slapped in the face, it's an insult. It is demeaning. And, you know, for, for some of us, our reaction is to just respond immediately, right? Now, I'm not suggesting Paul was careless, but Paul was bold in his response, and he gets knocked in the mouth for saying, I've got a clear conscience. Because li- listen, listen, listen. If you were my judge, some of you, that may not be too hard to, to, to imagine. But let's say you were judging me, okay? Let's just say you were, you, were, you were passing some kind of judgment on me. And I'm standing before you and I'm making my case. And, and I say, look, guys, my conscience is clear. What does that imply about your conscience? Right, right? It implies that I'm not sinning here. I'm not in the wrong here. And the implication is, is your conscience clear? Right, so they clearly got that message. He says, my, my conscience is clear before God to this day. And he gets struck in the mouth and he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Okay, what he's saying there is, you look good on the outside but you're crumbling on the inside. You might remember Jesus saying something like that about these leaders. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit there judging me according to the law and in violation of the law, you order me to be struck? So this high priest just broke the law by having Paul get hit. So he's calling his hypocrisy out. Verse four, those standing near him said, do you dare insult God's high priest? Watch the change here. Cause Paul's not being sarcastic here. Watch the change. Paul replied, I did not realize brothers that he was the high priest for it is written, you must not speak evil about a ruler of your people. So so here he is, Paul standing before this council and some man who he doesn't know, he doesn't know who the high priest is. He's not been in Jerusalem for years, right? So he has not kept up with who's the high priest. And this guy orders him to be stricken. Paul retaliates by saying you, God is gonna strike you down. Then they say, you can't speak to the high priest that way. And Paul realizes something. He's no longer blameless in that moment. He said he's lived his his conscience clear before God up until this day, but in that moment, it's no longer clear. So Paul does something about that. He says, I I didn't realize who he was. And he says, because I know the scriptures say you're not to speak ill of of a leader of your people. So Paul's not being sarcastic here. Paul's not trying to underhandedly serve an insult. Paul is genuinely, I think, sincerely realizing I've overstepped. And, and, and things may not be going well for me right now. I'm being persecuted unfairly, unjustly. I said something, I spoke out boldly, but I offended or I disrespected in a way that is in violation of the scriptures in violation of God's character. And so he steps back. So listen, here's the lesson that that gives us. Remember Jesus, when he was being persecuted, it's, it's scripture says he, even while he was reviled, he didn't even utter a word back now Paul did, so that, that, that's okay, right? There's times to speak. But as soon as Paul realized that what he had said and how he'd said it was being disrespectful, he corrected that. Listen, you and I might one day, maybe some of you have been there, will find yourself in a situation where you're giving an account for what you believe. And there's never an excuse for disrespecting someone and giving that account. Because people are made in the image of God, regardless of whether they're your enemies or not. Because Christ said, love your enemies, right? It's easy to love your neighbors, people who you get along with, people you agree with, but it's hard to love your enemies. There is never an appropriate time for a follower of Christ to become disrespectful or demeaning of a person. You might be bold, you might have passion, but listen, when you realize and the spirit convicts you that you've crossed the line, maybe, you, maybe it's even not, you're not even given a, an account for your faith, but maybe it's, you're, you're in a position where you're under authority of a boss, a supervisor, a teacher, a parent, and, and you don't think things are going right and you say something and then in that moment, you realize that you have just dishonored your parents, you've dishonored the authority that God has placed over you, whether they're right or not. As followers of Christ, we are called to show the same love of Christ to our enemies as we are to our neighbors. And Paul steps back and says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was the high priest because I'm aware of the scripture that says you should not speak ill of a ruler of your people. That's something we can take from Paul here. We go on, though, as the story unfolds. Paul then realizes what's going on. And he says in verse six, then Paul noticed that part of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees. Now Luke's gonna help us out in just a moment on that. So he shouted out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Now you might remember a couple weeks ago, we saw Paul list some of the things that, uh, that he was, used to be proud of, some of the things that made him a great Jew. You can find the same similar list in Philippians chapter three, where he says, I'm a Jew born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. And he'd say in Philippians three, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Uh, two weeks ago, when we last gathered, we saw an Acts He says, I was trained under Gamaliel. One of the best, well-noted Pharisees in the in, in Jerusalem. there's a group of Pharisees in this council. There's a group of Sadducees in this council and he's, he's now going to appeal and he's going to change the focus of, of, of this council. See this focus of this council has been on some false things. Paul has um, tried to bring Gentile non-Jewish people into the temple. He's trying to defile the temple. They're saying things like that. He's causing riots. They're saying things like that. See now Paul is aware that things are starting to circulate that are taking the focus off of him being a witness, Look what he does. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee and a son of Pharisees. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Verse seven, when he said this, an argument began between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And here's Luke helping us out. He says, "For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angels or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all." So, so here you've got a group who the Sadducees they do not believe in a resurrection of the dead, life after death. They just believe you cease to exist. Um, They 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 don't believe in angels or spirit beings. They believe more in just the physical realm, the rational realm that you can see and think and reason about. And then you've got the Pharisees who who they do believe in resurrection of the dead and they're waiting and they're hoping for that day where the resurrection will happen from the dead and they do believe in angels and they do believe in spirit spiritual beings and that there is a spiritual realm and so you've got these two different theological positions and Paul says look brothers I'm one of them I'm a Pharisee and I'm actually on trial for the hope of the resurrection do you see what just happened there Look how it played out. There was a great commotion and some experts in the law from the party of the Pharisees stood up and protested strongly. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? So like they're hitting all of the disagreement points, right? Paul just said, I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection. The Pharisees go, oh, all of a sudden the game has changed. We agree with this man. And after all, what if he has been told this by an angel or spirit? So the Sadducees are going, oh no, we disagree with all of that stuff. You see what's happened now? Two things. One, the, the, the council has now turned inward and they're about to argue themselves uh, out, of, out of Paul's presence. But two, Paul has now shifted the focus to what he's actually on trial for. Now, he didn't mention anything about Jesus yet. He just says, I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection. And he's got some people now cluing into him. We find nothing wrong, verse 9. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Verse 10. When the argument became so great, the commanding officer feared that they would tear Paul to pieces. He ordered the detachment to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. So Paul now is removed from the council, brought back into basically at this point protective custody. And now, he, now here's what Paul did in this moment. And, and this we've, we've got to learn. Remember, Jesus said to his followers, You will be my witnesses. In all these different places. Now we could go to other places in the gospels where, where Jesus would tell his followers, some of you are gonna stand before kings and rulers and you're gonna witness to me there. God is setting Paul up for that. But first, Paul's making sure that in the situations that he's in, the focus is on the right thing. And, and here's where we, we can learn from this. Listen, there are going to be people who are not followers of Christ, who do not believe in Jesus. Maybe they're atheistic, maybe they're Muslim, maybe they're Hindu, Buddhist, uh, maybe they're, they're just some kind of mix of all kinds of things. And you're going to interact with them in your workplace, in your school, in your classroom, in your family, perhaps. And they might say things about what you believe. Like a Muslim might say to you, You worship three gods, you're polytheistic. To which we would say, no, we don't worship three gods. We worship one God who is existing in three persons. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All at the same time, but one God. They'd say, no, you worship three. And then you could start to argue about that for a while. You might, you might come across someone who says, I, I, who's atheistic and says, I don't believe in life after death. I think we all just evolved from the simple organism and, and by chance over millions of years, we have evolved into this state that we're in now. But when we, when we die, we cease to exist. You might come across someone like that. So then when you talk about the resurrection and life after death, they're gonna say to you, that's foolishness. That makes absolutely no sense. You might come across people who, who they've not followed Christ and they've got some questions about the faith. They've got some disagreements about some things and they're gonna say things like, I just cannot wrap my head around the fact that the Bible teaches that God created everything there is in six days and rested on the, on the seventh. I think that evolution took place and then maybe you're gonna get pulled into that and you're gonna be tempted to debate and argue about that. Maybe you're gonna get tempted to debate and argue about other things that all of these things are secondary. They're good. They're, they're, they're things that need to be discussed. They're things you need to come to a resolution on, but they are secondary. And we could end up debating people on, did God create in six days? Is evolution a viable option? Is resurrection from the dead even a possibility? Um, is this Jesus person more than just a good teacher, more than just a moral person? There's gonna be all these things and, and you could get sucked into answering all these questions. Well, tell me about this. Well, there's this contradiction in this scripture here with this scripture. All these things are secondary. They're good. You should wrestle with them. But the temptation is going to be that when you get into these discussions, when you get into some of these interactions, you're going to be drawn away from what really matters. Because listen, a person does not gain new life from God by believing that God created the world in six days. It doesn't. A person does not get adopted into the family of God because, because they, they, they believe that the Bible is the word of God inspired by God without errors. A person does not get brought into the family of God because of believing that. Okay. So, so maybe you're in a conversation with someone that say, I just can't believe the Bible's without errors, right? It's a worthy conversation to have in an appropriate time, but it's secondary, Right? A, person, a person does not uh, get, get brought into the kingdom it, 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 with, with some of these things that we tend to, to get caught up in and debating. And so we've got to, to focus the attention on what matters, the resurrection, the event that changed all of history. Because listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, his letter to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, listen, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then we of all people are to be pitied because we are without hope. But if he did, then everything is different. And everything changes. And it's worth considering. And so you may you may get in a conversation or you may be maybe put on trial, so to speak, right? Uh, you, you may not be in the exact situation that Paul's in, but maybe people are attacking you because of your beliefs. And the temptation is gonna be to give them an the answer for everything and try to debate and win them. People aren't won into the kingdom by debate. Now, those are good and worthy things to talk about, and if you have the time, you should show the respect to people who are asking the question and give an answer if you have an answer. But don't lose focus. You've got to get them back to okay, but what do you do about Jesus? What do you do if he rose from the dead? What do you do if, if he really did raise from the dead? Let's talk about the facts of the resurrection that can be attested to even outside of scripture. How do you explain the body missing? You really want to say that someone stole the body? Come on, those guards were guarding that tomb and at the, at the risk of their life, if that body's stolen and they let that body get stolen, they're dead men. Come on, you really want to say that the, the, uh, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, had this elaborate scheme where, where they stole the body? Same answer. Those guards would never have let that happen. You want to say that the guards weren't present or they were asleep? How would anyone roll away that stone without them noticing? It's not a pebble, it's a large stone that would require multiple people to move in place. You really think that the, the apostles were that stealthy? They're not ninjas. That would be cool. Do you really want to say that that Jesus really didn't die? That he was just kind of in a coma and then he, he was resuscitated while in the tomb, got up and walked out? How would he open up the tomb from the inside? I mean, help them, and with respect, help them consider the claims that they might be buying into. Because if Jesus really wasn't dead, look, they checked that out on the cross, If he wasn't really dead, they would have made sure he was. That's why they speared him in the side. Does he react when I spear him in the side? No, he was done already. They had no need to even break his legs. Why would they have broken his legs? Because the next day with the Sabbath, the Jews don't like to leave people hanging on a cross for the Sabbath. And so the Romans were considerate of that. So they would hurry the process up because you die by suffocating on crucifixion. So you break the legs so you can't push up, speeds the process up. They would have handled that. Jesus really was dead. People really do, can, can, can really attest to that. And then he came back from, from the dead. And listen, he had plenty of eyewitnesses. You want to talk about evidence, eyewitnesses? If he had one, maybe two, maybe you could call it a conspiracy. But Luke tells us he had over 500 people. Paul tells us he appeared to over 500 people after He rose from the dead. Put the facts before them. Get the the resurrection in the focus. This is what we are living our lives for. This is where our hope comes from because he did not stay dead. That's what we need to focus on. Those other things, have those conversations at the appropriate time, but listen, don't get sidetracked by them. Don't get sidetracked by them. They're secondary. Paul gets the focus on the resurrection. I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection. All right, we go on in verse 11. The following night, so he's taken back into protective custody. This, I think, is the key verse in this story. The Lord stood near Paul and said, have courage, for just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul is currently in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He was just standing before a council in Jerusalem. He's still in protective custody. He's still imprisoned. He's under guard. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to him standing. By the way, there's only a few times in the scriptures after Christ rose from the dead that he appears standing. Do you remember another one that's shown up in the book of Acts already? Stephen. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked up the heaven, he saw Jesus standing. There's some encouragement there. And Jesus says to Paul, you've testified about me here in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Until you realize what Jesus is saying to Paul. You're not getting out of this yet. You're not going to come out of prison yet. In fact, you're going to be transferred as a prisoner Rome because that's how you're going to testify before the Roman emperor and the, and the rulers in Rome. And when you think about that, does that, does that kind of blow your mind a little bit? That in this moment of encouragement, he he says, be encouraged. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, if I'm seeing Jesus and I'm going through that and I'm seeing, I'm encouraged, but then he says, you've testified about me here, but you're also going to testify about me in Rome see most of us are praying God get me out of this God get me out of this but see when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians you know he wrote the letter to the Philippians while he was imprisoned possibly later on in this very imprisonment right and he writes and he writes to the church and he says don't worry about me because this has actually turned out for good Because everywhere the gospel's being proclaimed. And he would talk about how some people are trying to get him in trouble by proclaiming the gospel because they think if they keep proclaiming the gospel, it's gonna stir up trouble for Paul. And other people, he says, they're sincere and they're actually proclaiming the gospel because they wanna see people believe. And he says, I don't care about the motives. Bottom line is the gospel's being preached, right? And he writes this book about joy and rejoicing all while being imprisoned. And at the very end of the book, if you're not paying attention, you miss it because we tend to gloss over the greetings. You know, all the brothers in Christ greet you, the sisters in Christ greet you. And then there's a spot at the end of Philippians, check it out later, where Paul says, and the brothers among the praetorian guard or the guard of Caesar greet you. The brothers from among the guards of Caesar, the praetorian guard greet you. How did the brothers get among the guard? because Paul was being guarded and guards were switching in and out and they were in his presence. He had freedom, but they were there. Guess who was interacting with the guards? And guess how the gospel was starting to spread in Rome, even among people who worked for Caesar. While imprisoned, falsely accused, persecuted for his faith, Jesus says to Paul, you've witnessed to me here now you're going to witness for me in Rome. Listen, some people in this room today, you're going through something. Following Christ is hard for you right now. And now some of you, you really need to assess whether you're following Christ or not before you, you buy into this next part of this statement. But some of you, you're genuinely following Christ and you find you're coming up against opposition. People are opposing you. You've made some lifestyle choices that has changed some relationships and some dynamics. And people are really opposing you right now and it's hard And maybe you're praying, God, I want to get through this season. God, I want to get out of this. And maybe you need to hear instead, be encouraged. Because maybe he's not planning on getting you out yet. Because sometimes the things that we go through are not about us, but they're about others. Obstacles to our faith for followers of Christ are opportunities for faith for others. And for me, Certainly it deepens my faith, but, but we tend to, to become victims. And listen, you don't have to be a victim. Why? Because Christ is the one who has the victory and, and, and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You don't have to be a victim because God is going to judge on, on your behalf those who persecute, those who, those who come up on opposition against Christ. God is going to see that, take care of that. That's not for us to do and to deal with. And we tend to, to think of ourselves as victim, victims. Instead, we should be saying, okay, God, what are you doing here? Help me to be a witness in whatever is you're going through. Instead, our prayers tend to focus on get me out. Now, listen, pray those prayers. But pray those prayers, understanding that God's plan right now for you may not be to bring you out of that just yet because there's someone else who needs to see you in that. So listen, so this was the sermon plan for last week. Um, And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize anything. Um, But I was wrestling with this These set of verses going into last week's sermon and now have a little bit more uh, um, water behind me to to look back. But you realize um, some of you know what my family's gone through for the last six weeks and we're doing good. And I think for the first time in six weeks since the baby's born, everybody's healthy. But you know, two weeks ago on a Monday, we got a call from doctors telling us that our one month old had RSV and flu. Okay, so, so many of you have been praying for us and checking in for us and, and helping along the way. Now, one of those is potentially fatal for an infant. One of those, right? I started fasting and praying for the next 24 hours. Amen. Because what else could I do? because I had no clue. The doctors were concerned. Go home. They said, get a go bag ready in case you need to go to the hospital. Here's the things you need to look for. And I'm going, okay, I've got this sermon. I just finished. It was Monday. Monday's my sermon writing day. And so I just finished kind of writing the majority of the sermon. And I kind of realized that this was the direction the sermon is going. I'm going, no, Lord, no, no, no. And, and, and worse things were going through my mind, not disrespectful things like the what ifs, the what ifs. No, Lord, I don't want this lesson. I don't want to learn this. I don't want to learn it this way. All that's going through my mind, knowing many of you have already been down a road that is far worse than this. No, Lord. I don't, I don't want to sympathize with them in this way. God, teach me to sympathize another way. All of that's going through my mind. All of that. And that, the Sunday before that, nobody here knows this. The Sunday before that, I'm back here, and we're singing a song and we're worshiping. And I'm, I it just, you know, sometimes you can just tell when, when you're maybe more worshiping in the Spirit than not. And in that moment, we didn't know anything through my head goes the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord I remember thinking that the Lord gives and the Lord and the next day I found that I go no Lord no 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 right that's where I was on Monday having just written this sermon going no Lord I, I don't want to live that out okay Now, I don't know what God has done. I don't have any story for you. So I'm trying not to over-spiritualize anything here. Thank you for your prayers. JJ is doing far better. Everybody at the moment is healthy. But I don't know what God did through it. I don't know if he did anything through it. I don't know if he impacted any of the doctors because I mean, I'm trying to rationalize spiritually in my head, God, you're gonna, you're gonna put us before doctors. That's what you're doing. You're putting us before doctors so that they can see our joy and see our hope and see our faith. That's what you're doing, God. Well, I don't know what God's doing and I didn't have any kind of spiritual conversation, no gospel conversation, nothing. Why? Because I'm a parent who's got a kid, an infant, who's sick and seriously so. And so I'm focused in on that at the moment, right? So, but I, I've got all that going through my head. And then I'm praying for healing, God. I'm praying miraculous healing. God, take the, I mean, we, if you're not Pentecostal, you become Pentecostal when your kid gets sick. <laughs> Every one of you knows that. Amen. Every one of you knows that. Yeah. Paul's not being delivered from this. He said, instead, God says, you're gonna, you're gonna witness to me in Rome. Sometimes God's not planning to bring you out of something. He's planning to bring you through it. And it's not just about you. It's about others that God has, has, has plans for to see you, to interact with you. I mean, I could tell you stories, many of you have stories, uh, of people who have just gone through the ringer, and yet you hear stories of hope come out of that. Some of the people I baptized early on when I first got here, their testimonies were, were, were tied to tragic events in this community. But God, even in the midst of that, God used tragic events to bring other people to himself. I'm just saying, God's bigger than we give him credit for. Here's the other thing you got to keep in mind here. So he's about to be brought and transferred in the room. Did God know that Paul was going to be in this situation before he got in this situation? Yeah, I believe so. In fact, I know so. Because just a few chapters later, I believe it's Acts chapter 21, Paul received a prophetic word which said a prophet comes to him and says, I'm having visions of you in Jerusalem being bound and led away. And yet Paul continued on there. God knew Paul was gonna be in this situation because who does prophetic words come from? God. And when they come true, you look back on him and you go, God. So God knew Paul was gonna be in this situation. Paul knew he was gonna be in this situation. And yet here we find Paul in the situation that none of us would have walked into. None of us would have willingly gone towards. Every one of us would likely have been praying, God, deliver me from that and get me out of it. And yet here we are in God, knows, fully knew. In fact, we could even go as far and say, ordained it. verse 12. When morning came, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. I'm going to start summarizing a little bit here because now this plot to kill Paul comes about. They're going to they're gonna get him out of prison. They're going to have him transfer. I mean, you've seen this in movies, right? Some of you've seen this in real life. You, you, you're going to get this prisoner out of prison by transferring him to another location. While he's being transferred, you're going to ambush him along the way. That's the plan. So now they put the plan in action. Now, we find out that Paul has a nephew who overhears this plan. And the nephew goes and speaks to Paul because Paul could have visitors. Tells Paul what's going on. So verse 16, when Paul, when the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush, he came and he entered the barracks and told Paul. So Paul tells this young man, I want you to go and tell this guard, this particular guard, the commander. I want you to go and tell him what you've heard. So the boy goes and tells the commander about this plot to kill Paul and ambush him along the way. He finishes telling the guard, verse 22, then the commanding officer sent the young man away, directing him, tell no one that you have reported these things because this is like right out of a movie because now it's nighttime. And what he's gonna do, verse 23, he summoned the centurions, two of them. And he says, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea along with 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, so we're like 470 guards at this point, 470 military men, by 9 o'clock tonight, and provide mounts for Paul to ride, so he's not walking, he's going to be on a horse, that he may be brought safely to Felix, the governor, because that's the next stop on his way to Rome. 470 military members to guard one man, transferring him for, transferring him at night. That's the kind of protection that the God that Paul is on trial for gives him so that he can get to Rome to be his witness in Rome. My God. Yeah. The commander writes this letter, sends it on to Felix. We're not going to read the letter, but it basically recounts all of this. I've heard about a plot. This man's on trial for this. Verse 31, the soldiers, in accordance with the orders, took Paul and brought him to Antipatris during the night. So they transferred Paul. The next day, they let the horsemen go on with them, and they returned to the barracks. When the horsemen came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When the governor had read the letter, he asked what province he was from. When he learned that he was from Cilicia, He said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive too." Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Paul is on his way to Rome because God said, be encouraged. You've witnessed to me here and you're going to have an opportunity to witness to me there. For the follower of Jesus, obstacles to faith become opportunities for faith. I want you, I want me to change our perspective when we find ourselves in situations that we think are unfair, that we think are unjust, that we think, God, I just want to get out of this because this is far too much for me to bear. Those prayers are absolutely fine. God, deliver me. In your compassion, show mercy. Pray those prayers, but pray these prayers also. But God, if you don't, it's like the prayer that Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed before they got put into the fiery furnace. We believe our God's gonna deliver us from this, but if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will worship him. Pray those prayers too. Because sometimes what we're going through is far bigger, far more complex than you and I can even grasp. And it's far more God-centered than we wanna let it be. What's natural to all of us is to be us-centered, human-centered. And the world, the universe, was not designed by God to be focused on us. Every parent in the room gets that. Your kids are not the center focus of your life. You have a responsibility with them. You appoint them. You direct them. You parent them. You instruct them. You love them. You enjoy them. But you are simply entrusted with them. And it's not about them our perspective in life is it's not about me. It's about God. And we could point to Job, and we could point to Joseph in the Old Testament where horrible things happen, but God used that, maybe even ordained in some cases. It's hard to get around that. (coughs) That sometimes God's goal is not to make me happy, not even to keep me safe sometimes, but because his purposes are far greater the greatest joy that I could ever know is to follow him and to be in his steps and in his care, at his mercy. So I don't know where this finds you this morning. Some of you, it might be hard, it might be hitting you in the gut, and and I get that, and and it's okay to walk away with that and to wrestle with that. But at least we need to be honest before the Lord and say, God, if my prayer has only been get me through this, would you change my perspective? Would you change my prayer? And help me to get to the spot where I can pray things like, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and be okay with that, not because I'm okay with the situation, not because I'm okay with the tragedy, but because I'm okay with you, God. And I trust you. Some of you, that's, that's where you need to be. Others of you, as you're listening to this, I, I hope what you're hearing and as you, as you see Paul and the situation is this man is willing to, to to go through all of this when he could have just simply recanted and said it's not worth it i could go live a comfortable life was living a comfortable life was well respected had a good home good family you know things with the, the, the with with his his life were probably going great he could go back to them and just say i'm not not interested i've i've, I've done my part i have attended a few services the love of Christ compelled him because he knew the type of grace that had been extended to him, the type of mercy that had been extended to him to where he would later say, I'm the first among sinners. But Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. Some of you, that's where you're at this morning. God could not extend his grace to me. He couldn't give his mercy to me. No, there's other people in this room far better than me. Other people in my family far better than me. God's not looking for better people. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Yeah. For some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning. He came for you. That's why Christ came and lived a life that you and I can't live, but he did in our place, and he died the death that you and I deserve, and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to a new type of spiritual life that he now gives to us when we respond to him by repenting. Stop trusting in what you're trusting in, and instead, turn and trust in God. Trust in Christ. Some of you, that's where you're at. So let's just ask the Lord, what's got my name on it? Let's take a moment before him as we get ready to dismiss. Father, we can't pretend to understand your ways. We're reminded of Isaiah's words that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, his ways are higher than my ways. God, some in this room have been through situations that they will never be able to make sense of in this side of of things. And God, there's, there's people going through things right now in this room that they're saying, this is not fair, can I catch a break right now? I've said it. Yeah, God, would you lift up our heads and set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, but where Christ is seated in the heavenly places? Broaden our perspective. God, give us a more God centric view of what's going on. And and to deepen our trust and our love for you, even when we don't understand, even when it hurts, because of God, how faithful you are and how you revealed yourself. Help us to understand you more clearly so that we can understand us more clearly. And let us be people who who are looking for those opportunities that you're placing before us to be your witnesses. Give us courage to, to put things back on the resurrection, to put things back on Christ, to not get bogged down in secondary things. But God, equip us in those secondary things for the right times. Father, I pray that you would give those in this room who need words to speak the words. For those who need the courage to, to stand firm to do so. For those who need the courage to walk away to do that. God, for those who need the courage to pray a hard prayer, let your spirit guide them through that prayer. God, I, I pray for those who are hurting because they've walked through it. and I pray that they would hear your words be encouraged and that they would remember your words, even at the end of the gospel of Matthew, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. And the words of comfort and all authority has been given to me. There's nothing greater than you. Help us to entrust ourselves to you more so today than we have been doing. For those who have not trusted in you, God, I pray that you'd open their heart, their eyes, that they would understand the gospel today and respond to your call by trusting in Christ today. God, I pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.